Hi everybody, this is Andrew from Therefore I Geek. Don't be alarmed, you are in fact listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast. It just happens that the first several episodes we recorded went by the name Random Thought Generator. We changed the name starting with episode 9, but decided not to go back and try changing everything about the old episodes. So, without further ado, enjoy this episode of Therefore I Geek. You are listening to Random Thought Generator, Episode 3, featuring Pete Newcomb of Borderless Comics. Hi, welcome to Therefore Our Geeks Random Thought Generator. I'm Tracy, and I'm here with Pete, who owns Borderless Comic Book Store in Chesapeake. And we're going to be talking a little bit about comic book stores and what makes a person open one. Hi, how's it going? Um, so, just to start off, I wanted to talk about who you are and what got you into comics. It's kind of a big question. Uh, a little bit. So, uh, I'm Peter. Uh, I am probably a, a, a geek that has, uh, a self-trained geek, I, I'd like to say. I never thought of myself as a geek growing up, but eventually... I just became one. <laughs> so, uh, what makes you say that you weren't a geek? What were you not into or were into at the time that made you different? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I played a lot of sports when I was younger. I stayed away from computers and I did love science, but science wasn't definitely wasn't any of my uh, strong suits uh, or any of the sciences weren't, weren't part of my strong suits. I would say that the fact that I did sports so much when I was younger kind of kept me out of the geek culture. Uh, a good example is uh, when I was in high school, I sat down with all the guys who used to play Magic. Now, I never made fun of the Magic players. I, I, I loved artwork, and the reason I sat down with them was to look at the artwork on the cards that they were playing. So I caught myself one day uh, asking them how to play the game. and <laughs> Fatal mistake. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they started to explain it to me, and I rolled my eyes, and I was like, oh my god, that's too, ex- that, that's, that's too much. I can't do it. So here I am, uh, nearly 15 years later, uh, and I play it probably almost every day. That's fantastic. That's uh, a great story. Well, thanks. <laughs> well, okay, so how I got to be a comic book store owner is kind of a long story. I started reading comic books when I was, or looking at comic books, I should say, when I was five. My father started drawing cartoons like Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and Superman. Superman, I have worn a cape since uh, I can't remember any kind of cape. Um, Plastic bags. I've jumped off the roof with a plastic bag, you know, over my shoulders. Did that turn out well Uh, for you? I think there's still a little bit of spinal issue going on. <laughs> it's this little lump that I always feel always reminds me of the time I jumped off my house with a bag. Uh, but the doctor said I made a full recovery. So uh, I've jumped off of several ar- objects with capes and uh, I've made a cape out of everything that you could possibly imagine. Uh, but, you know, that's just, I'm sure every kid 
does that at some point in time. Maybe not to the extent that I did it, but you know. Superheroes are a big thing. There's a whole host of psychological reasons that superheroes are amazing, but yes. Was... So, but so even with that love of caped superheroes or feeling like a superhero, you still didn't feel like a geek at all? No. Uh, uh, not growing up, I didn't get to play a lot of video games. I played outside a lot. I did outdoor activities, lots of sports. Um, really bad in school, making C's and D's and felt like I wasn't just as smart as the other kids. So that's kind of what I think of a, a geek as, as somebody who is smart. But over the years, I've come to realize that geeks are just people who have a passion for a specific subject. Yes. We've talked about that a lot on There for a Geek. Oh, okay. About what makes a geek and who they are. And that's, that's literally the definition that we've given. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So what have, you guys, what have you guys talked about as far as what makes a geek? I am curious. A geek is someone who has a passion for not just one particular thing, but a passion for all of the random obscure knowledge about that. And obscure, I think, is really the big, the big key here, that something that they care so much about, they want to know every little detail. And then they want to not only know it, but share it with other people. So maybe not so much as obscure as deep knowledge of a particular subject. Yes. So <laughs> uh, that would make me a geek in a few different areas, I guess. Um, some some very odd areas, but you know. Uh, so Star Wars, obviously, it's one of those rites of passage. I would say that I've known that my dad has been a geek for a very long time. And he introduced me into everything that is geekdom. Uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, art, comic books. He was uh, very passionate about all the things that he did. And his passion for them made him really good at what they did. And I think that kind of rubbed off on me at some point in time. I probably didn't realize that until just now. <laughs> what was the transition point between just enjoying comics and geeky stuff and saying, I don't just want to enjoy this personally, but I want to share it. I want to open a comic book store. So I did really poorly in, in school, and I had a hard time reading. With that came ridicule from other kids. Uh, I got beat up a lot, as most geeks did. But you were a jock. <laughs> and no, I wasn't a jock. I just played lots of sports. So I also had a really smart mouth. And... So it got me in a lot of trouble <laughs> uh, do it. oftentimes. And uh, apparently I have no filter, as uh, many people in the military told me. <laughs> so my, my stint in the military has proven that my mouth is keen on getting me in trouble. Anyways, the journey to loving comic books started with the fact that I didn't know how to read. So not knowing how to read really impeded everything that I did in life uh, kept me from doing well in tests. It kept me from reading books that were really great that my teachers tried to help me out with. But I would say there was a summer, uh, I think I was 13, uh, 12 or 13, I can't remember exactly. Uh, but there was, um, there were these comic books and comic books growing up, I had a hard time reading them. So I just look at the pictures and finally I just was tired of not being able to completely grasp what the story was. And Where so, were you getting these? Were they just stuff that your dad had in the house, or were you actually picking them up and buying them? Comic books uh, were very scarce in my house. 
uh, I would read friends' comic books mostly. Go over to their house, and they would show me their vast collections of comic books. And I, I actually had a bedroom with my two sisters and my brother. We all shared a... Yeah, so all of our stuff was either... If it survived a week, we were happy. So comic books didn't have, weren't commonplace in my house. Uh, they would be shredded at the end of two days, I'm sure. sure. But the, uh, the thing that did it for me was when I was in, uh, I think it was fourth grade, Death of Superman. So, and this is how I know what age I was. Uh, I was 13 when the Death of Superman occurred. And I remember walking into school and one of the kids teasing me that my favorite superhero, Superman, was finally dead. And I was like, oh, shut up. You know, Superman can't die. There's, there's right. nothing about it. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're stupid. You, uh, we, we know Superman's dead, and I've got the comic book to prove it. I was like, whatever. Because constantly being teased about, you know, little things like that, I just learned to blow him off. Until he brought the comic book out of his uh, backpack, and I, I, I maybe didn't literally drop to my knees and say no, but I figuratively in my mind, I just like, no, Superman can't die. So I rushed out to the comic book store, of course, collecting change from the uh the seat cushions at the house and uh pillaging the the junk drawers for every penny that i could find and i couldn't couldn't find the death of superman but uh, i did find a comic book that was the um it was the first appearance of one of the supermen and it was the cyborg superman he was half half human half cyborg and i read that comic book probably a hundred times the the cover was shredded and I was convinced that was Superman. He'd come back and that was him. Wow. So, uh, that summer it was, it was just this joy of reading that I had that, that summer where, uh, my local library, they had a summer reading program and they said for every book that you read, you get this promotional item. Nice. I think I kicked out like 42 books that, that summer. Wow. I just spent, days in bed I mean days just reading tearing through novels and I'd never done this before that summer was a definitely a changing point for me so my love of reading comes from the fact that now I know the brain uses both sides one to read and one to visualize and when you're reading a comic book your brain has to talk back and forth on both sides to do that and it just things start to click and it's it's one of those uh, epiphanies that I had for kids. When you show a kid a comic book, they just, they look at it, they get excited. And maybe it's not the first time or the second time that they read it, that they start to want to get into it, but it's always there. There's that curiosity, that interest. They flip the page until they hit something that's really exciting for them, and they stop, and they stare at it, and they look at it, and it's like... What's going on here? Why is this happening? This is really cool. Why is this per person punching this person? Or why is this person able to fly? That Nobody can fly. So um, so you're saying that the visualization, the graphic part of the graphic novel, is what makes them want to go back to the beginning and find out the story to that point. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it may not happen immediately, but eventually it just kind of catches on. And for me... Uh, I, I always had a really wild imagination, and I thank my dad for it. But this imagination that I had exploded when I would jump into these novels. And so I think the trouble that I had as a kid could have been staved off just a little bit had I had this passion for reading 
then at a much earlier age. And I think that uh, comic books could help introduce kids at a much younger age into a better learning process. I agree. I find that I'm somebody who started reading early, really early. My mom read to me. We started the Laura Ingalls Wilder books when I was three, I think. Mm -hmm. And she started reading to me. And then by the, it's a seven book series. So by the end of the series, I was reading them to her. And reading for me has been huge. Even now, I was actually in your store today and flipping through a book that I ended up picking up. And I sat down at the table and I was reading it. And I looked up about five minutes later and realized I had no peripheral sensory anything going on the whole time. Oh, and that always happens when I'm reading for pleasure. So to hear someone that never got into that at such an early age and doesn't have that ability to be able to overcome that is that's kind of amazing. And it's not a common story, unfortunately. It it is unfortunate. It's uh, whenever I hear somebody come in and say, I don't read, (laughs) my heart breaks. Because it's just, it's one of those things that we need, we need to pass on knowledge and we, we each have this unique perspective on life. How are we going to experience it through somebody else's eyes if we don't necessarily try? And I think that's what happens is when people don't try to see life through other people, they just have no respect for reading. They go hand in hand. There's no empathy. I got you. So with that in mind... That's why you started a comic book store? That's why you opened? Well, of course, that's where the journey began. <laughs> that so, was the idea anyway. Uh, yeah, that's, that's where the, uh, it, it all started, where that's where the spark came from. I, I guess I wanted to open up my own comic book store because that's just a selfish desire that I've always had is, you know, opening up my own store, uh, let people read comic books and tear through them and, you know, just what gave me enjoyment, I figured why not? you know, share that enjoyment with somebody else. Growing up in Tucson, there are a few comic book stores. Uh, One of them uh, was uh, Atomic Comics. Atomic Comics very quickly became the nation's leading comic book store. Uh, They actually, I I can't remember exactly how many stores they had open, but at one point in time, um, they were grossing well over $4 million a year. They shut down, I want to say five or six years ago, Um, And the reason they shut down, was it three? Uh, The reason they shut down was because uh, somebody drove through the front window of one of their stores and they didn't have enough insurance to cover or to recover from the entire situation. And so it kind of shut down the entire chain, which was a big loss. Um, But I do remember going to comic book stores, including the Atomic Comics in Tucson, and never being able to pick a comic up and read it. And That's, we've talked about that. And I'm new to comic book stores, new as in a couple of years. And it, it's a piece of um, courtesy that you don't. Correct. And that's something that Andrew's taught me. Like You don't sit down and read something. And, and I know where that stems from. Uh, I, I've been subjected to it my entire life because I have been in, I want to say, 500 plus comic book stores in my lifetime. Uh, at one point, when I got it in my head that I was going to open my own comic book store, and this was years and years and years ago, uh, I decided that everywhere I go, I will visit every comic book store that I go to and just see what I liked about it, see what I didn't. I actually got my wife into doing that uh, about five or six years ago. And she was hesitant at first uh, because, as we know, comic book stores are uh, traditionally dark 
dingy dungeons and they usually smell weird unfriendly (laughs) they've some of them got this trope about them where they they revel in the fact that they are this comic book store that everybody knows about or talks about and i always knew that there was something more for a comic book store why can't a comic book store be brightly lit (laughs) for one (laughs) um and uh too friendly you know uh customer friendly yes people already have this bad idea about what comic books are and we need to we need to understand that comic books aren't bad uh there there is almost nothing bad about comic books uh, yes, there are adult comic books out there, just like there's adult novels. Yes, there's violence and uh, nudity and sex and language. And comic books push the boundaries on every subject line. But at the same time, there are good comic books out there for every age range, for every genre. Uh, if you're interested in something as far as a subject goes, there is a comic book out there for that. Uh, I couldn't have said that 10 years ago. I was just going to say, that's a fairly new development, though, in comic books. It is. Uh, and it's it's actually really exciting because there's such a uh, growing uh, range of genre out there for comic books. But again, back to the, the, the development of the comic book store. The comic books stores that I went to, the common theme that I saw throughout them was no reading. Science, literally in front of the comic books that said no reading. And it didn't occur to me uh, until I went back and thought about something that was very important. And uh, you may think this is a little bit of a a sidestep, but music. I grew up, um, we were kind of discussing before we we went on recording, uh, that you grew up in a very religious uh, background. Yes, uh, I too grew up in a very religious background, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was only allowed to listen to Christian music. Of course. Well, I didn't know any bands until I was probably of any other bands other than Christian music until I was 16. And I pirated everything I could get my hands on. Not me personally, but I had friends that knew computers really well. And so they would just download stuff. And I would spend hours going through all of these MP3s that they had downloaded on their computer and rip them to DVD or not DVD, CD, uh, so I could play them in my CD player in my car. And I would be listening to a artist and I would go, who is this? And they would say, "Uh, how do you not know who this is? Have you been under a rock for your entire life? Uh, Yes, I was under a rock for my entire life. I had no idea who this was. And, you know, it's just, you know, like Nirvana or something like that. Yes, yes. Uh, I still do that. (laughs) So with when I look back at that, I think to myself, uh, if it weren't for me pirating music, uh, as the term is coined today, if it weren't for me tearing through hours and hours of uh, music that I had not purchased and I had no right to own, I would not have the vast collection of real CDs that I have today. I never would have bought Nirvana CDs. Absolutely. I never would have gone out to the store and uh, looked for that one CD of all of my favorite artists just so I could say, hey, I own this CD. Did you ever do the, the those great um, Now CDs that were a mix of everything? <laughs> they're pathetic, aren't they? They're they're horrible to go back and listen to because you're like, I really listened to this? <laughs> I, I, I did that a few times. But it was a, the same thing, just to learn what yeah. was available. I, didn't, I had no idea. So I took that experience and I thought about it and I applied it to comic books. 
Uh, how is somebody that is never or has never read about superheroes going to learn about the superheroes? How are they going to experience, um, and not just superheroes, comic books in any form. I, when I say superheroes, uh, obviously I'm a comic book store owner. I love my superheroes. Otherwise, uh, I would loathe probably 80% of the comic books that are out there. But I don't, so I do love superheroes. So occasionally I'll mention that I uh, you know, I'm fairly in love with the comic books that have them. But I've also found that I love comic books that don't have superheroes in them, uh, have kind of anti-heroes or uh, are strongly based in reality with maybe a little bit of a twist. But I would have never read those kind of comic books had I not just sat through and read them. Um, my personal collection of comic books has grown over the years needless to say uh i would imagine i am nowhere near the collector uh that some of the my fellow comic book store owners are i have seen their collections and they are staggering to say the least i would like to say that mine is a little bit more modest than theirs uh but what i do like about my collection is that it's just got this wide range of comic books and so i would have never read all of these different types of comic books had I not actually purchased them and I would do large bulk purchases stuff that people were you know in the 25 cent bin or dollar bin um, or I would go to a convention and purchase a long box of random comic books for really cheap just stuff that people were getting rid of so I had the opportunity to read stuff that it wasn't in my norm so how are people going to read things that are not in their norm if it costs four dollars to purchase a book that's a good question i mean that's an excellent question i don't have an answer to that well uh one of the other things that i did was uh before digital comic books were around is i i, I lived in italy in the military uh for a short period of time so getting a hold of comic books for me was uh, near impossible uh, but i did have a friend that um, downloaded comic books digitally and this was before digital comic books came about. What it was was somebody was taking comic books, and they were photocopying them, putting them in PDF format, and then sending them out. And there was every comic book available that came out every single Wednesday, and sometimes even before Wednesday. And I would just read all kinds of stuff. And, it, and so I'm on a ship, I'm reading on my laptop, and I've just got this nostalgia for reading comic books at this point. I've got all these free comic books that I'm reading, and now I just want them. I want to own them. So I opened up a subscription service with a comic book store uh, that could ship to me wherever I was. And uh, I wow. did that for about 10 years. And I got so many comic books from them. It wasn't, it wasn't until my store actually opened that I quit my subscription with them. And I called them up and I said, hey, I'm going to cancel my subscription with you has nothing to do with your service. You've been wonderful to me. As a matter of fact, I had a really good relationship with the comic book store that I had never been to. Wow. And I said, I'm opening up my own comic book store, so I think I'll be able to handle it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> so Well put. Uh, they, they congratulated me on the store. They said, thank you for the business that you've been getting or from us or that we've been getting You said how you. many years? Uh, it was... So I started in 2003, 
and then it was 2012 when I canceled my subscription from them. So nine years of purchased comics, legitimate purchased comics, because for a few months you were on a ship reading free ones on a PDF. Yes. It was, uh, there's something about holding a comic book in your hand and being able to own it and collect it. It's this little uh, disease that I like to call it. <laughs> Once it you, There's a lot of joy. I, yes, uh, I agree. I have Comixology and it's wonderful. It's wonderful, especially for comics that you can't, from small publishers that you can't get um, in a print form, but... It's not the same. No. And I'm not. new to comics, and I already caught the bug, so I understand. But I do still read in digital, too. Uh, a lot of people are surprised. They'll come into the shop, and they'll say, uh, they'll say something about they just read a digital comic book. And they're like, oh, oh, whoops, I'm not supposed to say that. And I go, uh, I read in, on my iPad. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, I will get my comic books any way I can take them. Uh, I don't think that the paper is going away anytime soon. At least I hope not. Otherwise, I'll have to redo my entire uh, business plan. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. It, it, it could happen, and I'll go wherever the comic books go. Uh, but as long as people are reading them, I'll be happy. So to make an even longer story longer, when I realized that people weren't going into comic book stores to read them, they were going in to select a picture that was on a cover and then hope that the story inside was good, uh, I couldn't have it. I knew that when I opened up my own store, it was going to have to be a open environment, just like a Barnes and Noble or any other store where you go in and nobody's going to be hovering over your shoulder and telling you, you know, slapping your hand and saying, no, don't do that. So that's, that's kind of where I got the idea from. So you want a reading comic book store, a comic book store where people can come in, sit down, pick something up and read through the whole thing and, and maybe put it on the shelf and never buy it. And uh, you're okay with that? I am. I'm more than okay with it. <laughs> that's that's cool. I can't lie. That's exciting. That's different. Well, How do people know? But I, that's my next question. How do people know walking into your store if I were brand new and I didn't know anybody that ever went there and I just came in? How would I know that I can actually... Because for me, I hide. I go into comic book stores. I'll go in the back and I'll kind of flip through where I don't think that the employees can see me because I don't I don't like you said I don't want to pick something based on a cover because that doesn't always indicate what it, what's inside well picking something based on a cover is horrible uh especially since they try to entrap you with this gorgeous yes, artwork on the front they do they'll they'll show you something on the front that's completely appealing then you open it up and surprise it's a different artist and surprise the picture on the cover doesn't actually happen in this comic book whatsoever um, it's a trick that they've been doing forever. So whenever I have a customer that comes in, I always greet them. Uh, I figure, you know, if big corporations hire people to come in and greet them, there must be something to it. Point. A little personal touch, you know, let them know, hey, there's a person here. If you need to talk to them, I'm it. And the second thing I do is I, if I don't recognize the person right off the bat, I go into my spiel. <laughs> and my spiel is, hey, welcome to Borderless. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but it's a read store. And so some people look at me funny when I say it's a read store. Um, and some people don't acknowledge that I said that it's a read store. And so I continue on. I say, just so you know, it, this is a read store. If you'd like, you could take a comic book off the shelf and sit down and read it cover to cover. And that's normally when I get the what? <laughs> <laughs> that I just did? That it, one? Yeah. Yes. 
So there are a few customers that I've had come in and they refuse. They have been trained throughout their entire lives of reading comic books that you do not pick a comic book up off the shelf. You do not sit down and you do not read it, especially leisurely in front of the owner of the comic book store. (laughs) Right. So for owners, I understand where the do not read comes from. If a kid comes in and takes a comic book and sits down and opens it up, creases the spine, God forbid. Uh, (laughs) If they flip a page and they leave their greasy little fingerprints all over it, if they read the entire comic book and then leave it on a table for somebody else to clean up, what has the comic book store gained from it? In their mind, nothing. Not only have they not gained from it, but they've lost profit because they have a uh, comic book that is now slightly damaged that won't sell or be as appealing to a collector. I can't wait for the day when we get past the collectible comic books. I was literally just going to ask you what your opinion on collecting comics is. I, I have the disease. I'm a collector. It runs deep. <laughs> I collect... When I, if I'm not collecting something, I want to collect it. So it's very hard for me because I, I have the urge, but I fight the urge on a consistent basis, uh, especially now that I own a store. <laughs> I'm sure that makes it harder. Do you have that, that disease where you have to finish a set of anything? If you have one in the middle or one at the beginning, you have to finish? Uh, yes, it, okay. it's there. Uh, however, I've been doing better with that. I, I now collect the set read the set, and then put the set back into my store and sell the set. Oh, well, that's a step in the right direction. (laughs) It's still hard for me to even put stuff back into my store occasionally. Uh, But I found that uh, graphic novels have helped me make that transition. So I'll collect a, you know, five, six-part series. Um, I'll read it. The graphic novel will come out four or five months later, depending on the popularity of the comic book. And then I will get that or, you know, bring the comic books back in for somebody who actually wants to collect them. But I do still collect. I have my comic books that uh, I have to have, you know, because there's a chemical in me that says uh, you must own them at any cost, no matter how bad the writing is, no matter how bad the artwork is. So that's what I do. Uh, I've got my Superman and my Wolverine and I know that those are two staples, and I know that there are uh, comic book enthusiasts out there that go, why, when you have all the comic books in the world to read, would you collect those two? One, Superman is by far one of the cheapest comic books to acquire, and there are so many out there that I could never be done collecting. So it keeps that little fire burning uh, okay. forever, I, I would say, because I am I'm pretty confident in the fact that I am never going to be able to collect every single one. And you're uh, okay with that? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little bit of self-motivation. I've held all the important Superman comic books in my hand. Uh, I've got a picture of me holding an action comic book number one, which is probably one of the uh, holy grails of comic books. That I'm yeah, it a- is. I, I'm not... I'm new. I know. Yes. <laughs> so uh, to have actually, I, I went with a uh, friend and colleague to his bank and he took out his, uh, his copy from... A safety deposit box? Yes. Uh, it wasn't just 
a copy. It was Action Comics number one through ten, and then it was Superman number one through ten. And I can't be certain that it was just one through ten because uh, I was so excited to have them in my possession. You know, maybe a, a few thoughts of how long would it take for me to be out the door of the <laughs> bank before right. I'm labeled a robber crossed my mind. But uh, it was it really was a pure joy to be able to have them uh, so close and to actually see the size and look at what they, you know, were the paper that they were printed on. Uh, and so, and to know that somebody that was, you know, in the comic book industry for years and years and somebody who, you know, enjoyed comic books actually had them in their possession. And he, this was not a man who was, you know, a multimillionaire. This was not a man who was um, uh, trading in stocks and just had them as, you know, a business backup plan or as an investment. This was a guy who loved them and had them and possessed them because that's what he loved. And it, he, this man lived a very humble lifestyle and to have, I think I was holding about two and a half million dollars worth of comics in my hand at one point in time, uh, to have those in a safety deposit box was just, uh, it was a, a surreal experience for me. So it encouraged me to keep on going with my collection, even though I know I'll never finish it, I'll never be done with it. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I'll never be able to afford, you know, two and a half million dollars for a single comic and if i could afford two and a half million dollars for a single comic book i don't think i could bring myself to spend it not that i think it's a bad thing uh but there's so many better things in this world to spend your money on if you've got that kind of cash right like you know maybe helping kids read (laughs) which brings us full circle to what does a comic book store get out of it when you've got a kid who just left his greasy prints on a comic he's threw on a table and walked out i'm glad you asked uh because not enough people ask and they just assume that i am out of my mind what i get out of it is that this child who picks up a comic book and maybe reads it maybe looks at the pictures um this child gets whatever excitement i got as a kid or maybe an introduction into a world that i may not have had the opportunity to be introduced to at a young age but on a on a financial note, I actually get free advertising. There are not enough people reading comic books right now. And for any comic book store that yells at somebody for picking up a comic book, what you're doing is you're turning a person away. You're you're That's true. you're taking a person, you're saying, "Hey, uh unless you purchase this $4 book that you have no idea what's in it, uh I'm not going to survive." And you reading it for free hurts my business. If you tell that to a person enough times, they're just not going to come in and read any of your comic books. They're just not going to have a desire to read them. So if I let people who have never read a comic book before come into my store and read to their heart's content, uh, guess what? I've just given somebody a new passion for comic books, and they may not be able to buy a comic book now, but I know at some point in their life they may not buy it from me, but they'll buy it from another comic book store. And if everybody starts reading comic books, guess what's going to happen? The stigma that's attached to reading comic books is going to go away. The geekiness that is reading comic books uh, may not be so socially unacceptable. When you're at lunch with a group of friends talking about, you know, the latest issue of Iron Man or uh, talking about 
how insightful Joe Hill's uh, writing is and when it becomes common conversation that uh, you can uh, have a discussion, an intelligent discussion about comic books that may not be political or religious or, you know, yelling at each other and could just be fun at the end of the day. When you're with a group of friends, uh, just random people that you meet, you've got this instant connection. And I think that uh, stories do that for us. Any book, um, hey, have you read the latest Harry Potter book? You know, it does things for people. Even Twilight. (sighs) Be careful how you answer this. I've actually read two of the twilight books and i've listened to the audio cds of uh two as well now i am not an angsty teenage girl (laughs) so i did have a difficult time relating to some of the stories uh but the writing was way better than what i saw in the tv show a very deep psychological view into what the people in the book were feeling and feeling and maybe feeling some more. (laughs) 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 But, uh, it was, it it was something that my wife really loved reading. And so I read it as well. And so I found uh, a little bit of joy, uh, reading it as well. It was very sensitive of you. (laughs) Well, I felt myself getting more and more sensitive the more I read. And so immediately after I read the series, I had to go out and, you know. Do uh, something very manly. Oh, yeah. I, I think I, I killed some animals and ate them and <laughs> um, lived on my own and out, you know, out in the woods for months on end and came back with, you know, a, a bear skin that I, you know, no, I'm, none of that actually happened, but it, it probably would have helped. So your vision for the store, has it changed since you started it, since you opened it? My vision of the store and for the store has changed drastically and changes on a consistent basis. So the the vision has always been to have this environment where uh, people can come in and read and gain this love for comic books. And I don't think that's ever going to change, um, at least not for me. But the vision for the store, I, I named the store Borderless. Uh, simply because we didn't know where we were going to go and we didn't want to restrain ourselves to what we had to sell. We just knew that we had, my wife and I, had this love for uh, all things that are geeky. And as much as, we're, as much as we want to try to push the comic book uh, sales, that may not be the thing that makes us the most amount of money. So if we have to change the direction of the comic book store, we can. Um, we didn't name it uh, comic book store of borderless, you know, so comics isn't actually in the name of it. Uh, but I don't think we'll ever go away from that. So the direction of the store right now is to sell things and stay alive <laughs> month to month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew getting into the comic book industry that we were not going to become millionaires off of it. Uh, we weren't going to we weren't going to buy a yacht uh, based on our sales of the latest uh, Batman issue and we weren't going to have this excess of time that we could just go out and do the things that we wanted uh, so this is very much so a labor of love as is any comic book store I know the uh, TV show uh, Big Bang Theory kind of they both romanticize the 
comic book store and at the same time they tell a very deep truth when they make fun of the comic book store owner that never has any money and never Stuart. can do anything and it's hilarious when we're watching this show and he's like would you like to buy my watch <laughs> <laughs> i feel I, like that sometimes yeah. as you could possibly imagine selling a two dollar 99 cent comic book to somebody that comes in is not the biggest profit margin in the world i can't imagine so is that your biggest challenge just money i guess working that month to month and then with a lack of time for anything else uh challenges in comic books i would say are frequent and varying or at least in the comic book industry money is definitely a big issue simply because nobody can predict the future i can't tell you what comic book's going to be hot i can't tell you um, which comic book is going to go stale after being released for two weeks i can tell you that when a comic book comes out and it's hot and i don't have it on my shelf people are upset with me <laughs> Are they upset to, enough to not come back, or is it usually just a, oh, okay? Mm, there have been some that were upset enough not to come back, and I understand that. I'm a new comic book store, so I can't have every comic book and in uh, great quantities. Uh, and one of the things I really tried to do when I first opened was to carry a very wide range of comic books. Uh, maybe I wouldn't have 10 of every single comic book, but I'd have at least a copy of every comic book on the shelf. And that was more so... So that way when somebody would come in, maybe they would find something else that they liked instead of the same thing that they've been reading over and over and over again. Uh, but yes, uh, in any business, I would say that uh, money is always a concerning factor. And uh, for a comic book store, that is, it's no small undertaking. If there is one thing that you could tell someone who doesn't go to comic book stores, what would it be? What is something that you want them to know? There is a comic book out there for you. Uh, there, uh, as we were discussing earlier, that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell a customer that walked through my doors that I can find something for you that you will enjoy. Now, I say that, and some people don't admit that they're going to open up a comic book and read it and enjoy it. Uh, there are people out there that still believe that it's too geeky to read a comic book and actually enjoy it and want to talk about it and share it with somebody. Do you encounter that a lot? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot. And I, I wouldn't say I encounter closed-minded people, just people who have been taught that comic books aren't something that you do as an adult or something that you do as a child, which baffles me uh, because I would say uh, 70 years ago, we were facing, uh, we, we didn't have many literacy problems, uh, but parents were so enraged over comic books that they literally would have comic book burnings in the middle of their towns. And obviously we've come a long way since then, but... I sometimes feel like parents should be excited to get their kids away from a computer screen or away from a um, controller or away from a, this shut-in lifestyle that they lead. Bring them to a comic book store, let them pick up a few things, because it's not just going to be kids keeping themselves away from other kids. When you read a comic book, you want to talk about it. You want to you be excited about this thing that you just read that was completely impossible or this artwork that just astounded your eyes and you're just looking at it and how can how can somebody draw this you don't realize until you see some of the artwork that's out there just how vivid an imagination can be that's that's true so if there's one thing that you could say to your non-geeky kid self what would it be 
enjoy the athletics while you can. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I don't think it was ever not going to happen. Uh, I think I was just pulled towards all these geeky things. I, I just had this personality that wanted to dig deeper and learn more and read more. And all it took was that one realization that I could possibly do it. So the way we always wrap up our podcast is to ask what we're into right now. What are you up to? Uh, I am reading manga and watching anime. A lot of it. Anything specific? Uh, I just started watching Hunter x Hunter, which is a very cute. Um, I haven't decided whether it's for kids or whether it's for adults, because it doesn't seem to be for <laughs> either. Uh, it it. it it's got this very cute theme about it, which I don't normally go for cute anime. Um, I started, uh, I, I'm actually, this is the first time I'm reading a manga and watching an anime in conjunction. So it's, the, the book has some diverging subplots, but it keeps pretty on point. Everything is there. And it's always interesting to see the, the slight differences between the anime that they produce and the manga that has come before it and what they choose to take from the manga and put into the anime. But that being said, uh, I've just been killing myself with reading anime and or reading manga and watching anime lately. Let's see. I read uh, Berserk, which is definitely for adults. If there are any parents listening, don't let your kids under 18 read this book. It is intense. It it may be even a little too intense for adults, but a fantastic display of just incredible artwork and a story that's just captivating from beginning to end, which it hasn't actually ended yet, not since 1988. So I guess the writer's taking a little bit of a break for the last two years. So here's hoping that he goes back and starts up again because it's a fantastic story. Nice. How about How about you? What are you I... into? I am actually not doing a whole lot of reading these days because I am in the middle of writing a paper about changing perceptions uh, with regard to revolutionaries and Bolsheviks during World War One, specifically how the Russian people perceive Lenin at the beginning of World War One and how they perceive him at the end. So that's that's yeah. You just said a lot of things that were over my head. Let's let's roll it back a little bit. (laughs) So so you're writing a paper on Russian history. Okay. Um, specifically, the events of World War One that changed the minds of the Russian people about who Lenin was and where he could take their country from the beginning of World War One, when it was still pretty autocratic, um, the Tsar was still in power, and the end of World War One when all of that had changed and they looked to Lenin for guidance. So they started out thinking he was a radical. Uh, he was banished to Europe, and he really didn't have a whole lot to do with the country. And then by the end of World War One, he was leading the country. So wow. So what made you want to dive this deep into a paper? (laughs) It wasn't want. It was definitely an assignment. Oh, okay. Yeah, my Russian history class. That's what I picked. I I actually had a really long range of years to pick any topic that I wanted to from the mid-1800s or so to 1991 when the USSR fell. So that's kind of what I went with, and I'm actually kind of interested in it, so it's turning out to be a pretty exciting project. Now, I've heard you and Andrew discuss... Uh, historical time periods and um, things in history before and when you start talking uh, my severe lack of knowledge in history uh, is exposed to a raw degree so I take it that you have a passion for history I do I am 
a government major with a concentration in foreign policy. However, if truth were told and I could actually make money at it, I would be a history major. Unfortunately, there aren't a whole lot of jobs in that field. I love history. I love my history class. I don't even like Russia and I love <laughs> this class. So yes, it's, it's definitely a passion of mine for sure. So what's your favorite part of history? Um, American or just in general? In general. In general, there's a huge dichotomy between the world as it was at the beginning of the 19th century and the world as it was at the beginning of the 20th century. That hundred years of changing times, of industrialization, of the beginning of push for revolution, the beginning of the push for women's rights, the just the being able to see on the horizon civil rights. The world was an amazing and terrifying place. And there is a part of me that is so glad that I didn't live then because it is so scary, but there is a part of me that really wishes I had experienced it. There, so. we're, we experience all of these freedoms that we have these days, and it's all built on the things that people have done in the past. And at the same time, there was a class of people that saw none of it, that just, it's their labor. And I, I'm nobody's liberal or even progressive, but... I see those people and I am sad that they didn't really get to experience a whole lot. There were people that were chained to their benches in industrial factories, that kind of thing. But at the same time, I'm so grateful because without that, we would not be here yeah. at all. And I love it. Well, good. So if you could see a history in a comic book, what would it be? Wow. Um, did, you, did you see the beginning of the um, London Olympic Games? Did you see that there was a, a big display of England throughout um, the last 200 years or so? I did not. So, so tell me about it a little bit. It was a kind of a representation, and it was a very glorified representation. So, you know, a lot of the ugly parts were kind of scrubbed. But <laughs> it started out with just kind of a green hill, and it was very pastoral. And then they literally rolled back the hill, and they brought industrial factory um, chimneys up. And they, they changed the landscape. They took 200 years of British history and kind of boiled it down to, what, maybe in 40 minutes or so. And it was really beautiful. I mean, it was choreographed. There was music set to it. It was completely silent as far as there was no dialogue whatsoever. But um, except the very end, which was kind of a dance scene or whatever. And they went, from, they went through the couple of world wars um, they went through the rise of the internet. They went, and then they kind of wrapped up with an interracial family, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. And it's just, it's that change. It's following the individual people and how they, their thought changed too. Because I think that that's another thing that people miss is that we live in such a free progressive society. This isn't how human beings thought. This isn't how you and I thought. We didn't discuss comic books. We had... If we had lived back in those times, we wouldn't have the time. We w it wouldn't cross our minds. More survival, less uh, exactly. entertainment. And the way that we think of our government and the way we think of commerce and the way that we think about every single thing is so completely different. And I think that sometimes it's easy to force our modern mentality on a past person. But at the same time, I would, I would love to know a little bit more about how people have changed. So and, you... and throw a couple superheroes in there for effect. <laughs> I love it. There, there's a uh, comic book right now out that's called Uber, and it's uh, 
it's what if the Nazis had developed superpowers. And it's definitely an incredibly graphic um, comic book, but it's just one of those flights of fancy that uh, what if this had happened and with a little slice, very, very small slice of actual history involved. And uh, I think that sometimes... I have a few customers that are history buffs that really like history and they tend to gravitate towards comic books like that. And it's not that they have to be entirely accurate, which uh, if we're going for accuracy, we definitely want something that's more representative than, you know, superheroes flinging of course, electronic balls at each other, like, you know, giant energy destruction coming out of their eyes. But it's always uh, fun to see what would happen in a different situation. But it's good to see that there are people out there that still enjoy history as history. And I, as a person who is completely immersed in comic books nonstop, I also enjoy the nonfiction portion of it, too. And I think that there you needs can't to make be... so much of this up that I guess that's the big thing for me that yeah. truth is always stranger than fiction. It, you cannot make up some of the stuff that actually happened. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Pete, for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name, again, is Peter Newcomb, and uh, I have a comic book store named Borderless. We have the website, borderlesscomics.com. Um, and if you're ever in the neighborhood of Chesapeake, Virginia, or the Portsmouth area of Chesapeake, Virginia, uh, <laughs> uh, feel free to stop by and uh, read any comic books. And again, thank you for having me on here. Not a problem. So check us out at thereforeageek.com. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thereforeageek, or you can chat with us on Twitter at thereforeageek. And if you would like to chat with me personally, you can hit me up on my Twitter at Mary Eyes, M-E-R-R-Y-E-Y-E-S. And if you like this podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. I certainly will. <laughs>